Hi, I'm Father David Dufresne, parochial vicar of St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Church in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the St. Charles Church Talks podcast. The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Each year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the festival custom. After they had completed its days, as they were returning, the boy Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Thinking that he was in the caravan, they journeyed for a day and looked for him among their relatives and acquaintances. But, not finding him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord, with your permission, I'd like to reflect on the theology of pilgrimage. We just heard about one of the three pilgrimages that the pious Jews during our blessed Lord's time would make to Jerusalem. Just as a little caveat, I was reminded a few days ago, I got an email from someone who was having a difficult time sleeping, and they said, well, I went on the St. Charles podcast thinking that I would hear your nice modulated baritone voice talk about our Lord and how that would put me to sleep. I don't think that was the compliment, but they said, then I heard you talking about these martyrs and how they were just butchered. I couldn't sleep all the more. So I promised this person that um, from at least the next couple of weeks, this will be much more palatable uh, for reflection, for meditation, possibly for sleeping. But I'm actually quite excited about this topic, because I'm a convert, so to speak, of pilgrimage. And in one sense, our entire life is called to be a pilgrimage. So Jews would go to Jerusalem three times a year. In the Passover, we would say Easter season, this is when the passage that we just heard early on. So all the Jews from the surrounding area would walk to Jerusalem, however long it would take. It's about a hundred miles or so from, from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So they would do it in several days. And you were probably familiar, the guys would walk together and the gals would walk together and they'd get together as, as little clans, families, at the end of the day for meals, which is how they just assumed that Jesus was, was in the other line. And then they would also do that 50 days later for the Feast of Pentecost, which for the pious Jews during our Lord's time, this was the day they celebrate Moses uh, bestowing the law, God's law on the people at Sinai. 
for the descent of the law, just like we celebrate the descent of the new law at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. And then right around this time of year, during the harvest season, the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tents, where they would bring in the harvest from the fall, kind of begin uh, winding down. The year's work, worth of work, has been ended, and so they celebrate this time of year. So those three times of year, all the Jews from the surrounding areas would come into Jerusalem, and they would be there for a considerable amount of time. And Jerusalem itself was, was seen as like the center of the universe for the pious Jewish person. And even though they knew in one sense that the tabernacle was empty during Jesus' time, because the glory of the Lord had disappeared, had, had visibly departed during the time of the prophet Ezekiel, a couple hundred years before, they, they still went and, and prayed because they knew that the Lord had touched that place. That this was the, the dwelling place, or should have been the dwelling place of the Lord. And so they were praying for his presence to return. Lo and behold, it did in the person of Jesus. So with the destruction of the temple made out of stone, and then the resurrection of the temple of Jesus' body, this idea of pilgrimage slightly shifted from the, the Jewish tradition now into the Catholic tradition. Obviously, Jews no longer go on these pilgrimages the way they used to, although many pious Jews still go to Jerusalem. But this, this disposition changed to, to going to the place where the God-man, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, has made holy with his footprints, has made holy by his miracles, has made holy with his blood. To go to that place and, and to allow as many saints as referred the fifth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the Holy Land, to teach us and to inform us. To recognize that this holiness is like a contact sport. Also to remember that this happened. These aren't just stories. It happened here, in this place, around these walls. And it impacts us in an entirely different way than even devoutly meditating on sacred scripture. Right? It impacts our imagination to go to the Holy Land. You never pray with scripture the same again. Because now you have what the Lake of Galilee looks like, always in your mind every time it's mentioned. Now you can imagine what the streets of Jerusalem look like during the Via Dolorosa. So it changes us. It makes us more incarnational. It roots us more in a time and a space. So going to these places has, has always really been part of the Christian tradition flowing from this Jewish tradition of going to a place that has been touched by God so that we would be touched by God. So the earliest record of somebody going on pilgrimage, maybe outside of, of uh, Helena, St. Helena, the mom of Constantine who went to the Holy Land uh, when it was still essentially Roman-occupied, pagan Roman, right when the Roman Empire was becoming increasingly Christian. She herself had a conversion and wanted to go with the purse strings of the empire to bring back many of the relics as she could. And she did. The stairs that Jesus were condemned on at Pontius Pilate's place, the true cross, the crown of thorns, many of these, these relics of our Lord 
were there in safekeeping, especially because the Romans, we knew, put the temple of uh, Jupiter right on top of where these Christians would go to pray on Calvary. So we knew exactly where it was. Just take the temple of Jupiter and dig. And sure enough, there it was. That's a story for another reflection. So she brought all these things back to Jerusalem, and, and people would go to Jerusalem, and they'd come to Rome, not just for the, uh, the, the relics of our Lord, but also this is where Peter and Paul shed their blood, giving witness to the Lord Jesus. So we have several very ancient, going back to the mid-300s, kind of testimonies of this. There's what's called the Pilgrim from Bordeaux. We don't know much a lot about her except from what she left in her diary. But she left from Bordeaux, France, walked all the way to the Holy Land, keeping a diary of her pilgrimage. So it was already well established in, in the mid and late 300s, even um, spending considerable uh, wealth and taking considerable time years to make this journey. We know that St. Jerome, in a certain sense, went on pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And being cantankerous as he was, uh, he would write letters telling people not to do it. He, I mean, in modern parlance, many people might do the Appalachian Trail or, you know, go traveling because they, they want to, their life is a mess and they want to figure it out. Right? They, they go to travel uh, because they don't know what else to do. And so this also occurred during Jerome's time. And he said, if you think you're going to come to Jerusalem just to figure your life out, you're wrong. Stay where you are. Pray. Encounter the Lord there. Right? If you think you're going to come to Jerusalem just because that will make you holy, don't. Become holy where you are. So he was really checking uh, the, the motivation of these, of these people who were starting to flock to the Holy Land. Maybe he just wanted to keep it for himself. Who knows? But then you also have on the opposite side of that, St. John Chrysostom, around the same time, who went to Rome and wrote very beautiful, um, extensive uh, just praise of, of how impacted he was by going to Rome and seeing not just the relics of our Lord, but also the, the place and the relics of Peter and Paul. Just how he encouraged everybody to go on pilgrimage because it had transformed him so much. And so just kind of keep those, those two things in tension and balance. So a little um, background about how, why, how and why I am uh, such a proponent of pilgrimage and how we all should be because uh, we are all pilgrims in a certain sense. The, the first thing for me that, um, that made an impact on me is when I did Crossroads in 2003. So I was a brand new Catholic, Catholic just for a couple months. And it was really the first time that I'd left Colorado. And my, my plan at the time, uh, you know, if you want God to laugh, tell him your plans. My plan was to go right into seminary at the end of Crossroads. Uh, and I, I didn't. It took about five years of, of discernment and wandering and detours um, after that. But I had an application into seminary um, even before I was baptized. Um, so that just tells you a little bit about um, my maturity level and, and wisdom and understanding at that point. I was about, uh, uh, about 20 years old, 21 at the time. And so I, I did Crossroads thinking by the time Crossroads ended, this pro-life walk across the entire country. There are about 20 of us. Started in San Francisco and got to D.C. It was really the first time experiencing the, the beauty of our country, the beauty of, of the people of our country, experiencing slightly different cultures from you know, California to the Midwest to the East Coast. Um, 
and it, it was just an entirely different way to absorb a reality. Just walking and encountering people along these dirt roads, encountering people at their, their small corner shops. It's just an entirely different way um, to spend time, is, is by walking, going on this, this pilgrimage, if you will, from San Francisco to D.C. And the whole purpose was to pray and to sacrifice that, that our country would be renewed in our respect for the gift of human life. So the 20 of us, we, it was a lot of prayer, a lot of penance, um, and, and a lot of walking, 3,300 miles. And then from there, we did a little spin-off walks. We did one in the Northeast so we could kind of talk to people and, and, and um, kind of evangelize a little bit more along our walk. Uh, and then another one in California where we walked the old mission route from San Diego to Sacramento. It's very similar experiences. Tremendous ways to experience uh, life, just to experience uh, humans rather than just rushing or driving from point A to point B. And just to in- encounter people and be open to the Holy Spirit leading us from day to day of, of what people are they going to place in our path. Just a tremendous, apparently there's a quasi-famous journalist who is kind of blogger or whatever she does is um, the middle of somewhere. And she's a journalist that, that goes and, and drives to wherever she wants to make the story, but she never takes a highway. She wants to kind of experience the land and the people and the stories that are the context of the story. It's a very kind of similar way to just slow down and, and to really just be a lot more receptive. Okay, so that's the first kind of three experiences of just where I was really convicted of the power of walking places. Is, is a different way to absorb reality. And then I went on several um, kind of, you might say, classical or modern pilgrimages, just going to a holy place for the sake of going to the holy place. So I, I was very blessed to be able to go to Rome uh, and then Seville for Holy Week. Uh, and then Guadalupe uh, during Easter as well. Uh, and so those three places, you know, taking planes, having having local friends there to show us around, um, kind of just having the tour books, amazing experiences. Um, but for me personally, to combine the two, um, to combine walking and going to a holy place, that for me was really transforming. Um, because, and I think that's the fullest expression of being a pilgrim in the sense that that we are on a journey somewhere holy. That is the metaphor of our life. That we're going somewhere. That we have a destination. That we're going to the Father's house, as Jesus was in this account from the beginning of St. Luke. That at a certain point in the Gospel, Jesus resolutely determines to go back to the Father's house through the crucifixion. And all of St. Luke's Gospel is leading up to the crucifixion. So we were traveling through this life of suffering, this veil of tears, to glory. But we're going somewhere. That this life has a direction, it has meaning, and it has purpose. How many people, maybe many of your co-workers, maybe at times even in the depths of your heart, do you feel lost? Just aimless, just kind of Groundhog Day, one day after another. That, that, that you kind of just lose sight of the fact that your life has a beginning, a middle, and a destination. Not just a big circle 
of, of auto, autopilot. How many people just, just feel complete lack of meaning and direction? Have zero utter in their sails. But then it's also important that when our Lord sends the apostles out, right, those who are sent, that's what the word means, uh, that he does so in pairs. That we're not meant to journey alone. That part of being on pilgrimage is journeying together. There are several reasons for this. Um, but the fact remains that even if we're kind of spending some hours of the day alone on our pilgrimage, you're not meant to be on pilgrimage alone. That even when, when I did the Camino of Santiago alone, uh, you know, I didn't, I, there was no friend with me. I was never really alone. There was always other pilgrims with me. There was, there was a certain charm there. And, and I wasn't a, a deacon or a priest yet. I was a seminary. And I was, this was kind of my, my extended retreat to really discern that I'm, I'm finally going to be uh, ordained freely. To really have that gut check. Like, oh, I, I, I'm free to leave. I don't have to do this. I'm not on autopilot. I'm not just coasting to ordination. So that was kind of my spiritual intention for doing the Camino. And, and then just encountering everybody along the way, um, even though they knew I wasn't a priest, I heard tons of confessions. People just wanted to share why they were on their Camino. They just wanted to walk with somebody else. They, they didn't want to feel alone. It's a very beautiful experience. Also to recognize in, in the Second Vatican Council helped us to remember that every reception of Holy Communion, every worthy reception of our Lord of the Blessed Sacrament, is a type of pilgrimage. That itself is a, a foreshadowing of eternity, journeying towards the Lord. So this earth, again, is preparation for eternity. That that procession in the communion line, we're processing to the Lord, we have a direction, a meaning, and purpose along the way. When our Lord sends the apostles out, he gives them also instruction. Right? Have a walking stick. The world is dangerous. Right? Be prepared. There is likelihood of injury. Not everyone will be nice. The road is rough. Only one tunic, meaning travel light. You're just passing through. I don't have a second tunic for uh, collateral. I don't don't be so concerned with uh, having the best things with you. Only one pair of sandals. Don't carry any food. And be vulnerable, essentially. And on, on this journey, remember, you're just passing through. This isn't our forever home. Then lastly, as, as far as these uh, moments of import, of how our life can be like a pilgrimage, it's also good to remember that our Lord himself is the, the first and the, the archetype of all pilgrims. But he made that pilgrimage first from heaven, a rescue mission, so that we could have our pilgrimage back to him. That his entire life was a pilgrimage, descending from the heavens, walking with us. And that we do not walk alone. He is our leader. He is our good shepherd. That we journey with him. And so lastly, as far as this direction and as this meaning and purpose, sometimes it's easy to just get bogged down with day-to-day. -day. Sometimes 
it's, it's difficult to see where am I going in life. Okay, Father, that's nice. Heaven eventually. But I don't see the journey in front of me. And I don't, I don't know the, the next steps. Sometimes it might be frustration with vocation. Lord, I want to get married. Or I, I feel called to religious life, but I don't, I don't know what to do now. It kind of might just be um, analysis paralysis, or it just like, I just feel stuck. Or I really feel called um, to marriage, but where are they? Put it on an app, right? I don't know. Don't go on apps. Um, so I think a couple things in regards to tying those, those two themes together, feeling lost, but our life does in fact have direction, meaning, and purpose, um, that it's very hard to steer a car if it's parked. Right? If, if we're not making any movement, it's very hard to feel like we're making any movement. So even if you happen to be going the wrong way in the sense of you make a choice, you apply to this religious order, or you ask this person out on a date, and that's not the person you're meant to marry. Well, I mean, making decisions, good, holy decisions, is progress, even if in, in the big scheme of things, that's not the right decision. As long as they're moral, they're good, they're virtuous decisions, right? You're moving. It's direction. You can be able to discern the Lord's movement within those actions, but simply being frozen. There's plenty of times on pilgrimage where I get lost in towns or cities. I can't find the way out. Well, simply like sitting down isn't going to help. Just walking around until I find the signs or ask somebody or move. Another little image here is that our vocation, our ultimate purpose getting to heaven through our vocation here on earth is written on the sacred heart of Jesus. So the, the more we move towards him, the more we grow in holiness, the more we can see what's written, the more we can see our plan uh, that he has written on his sacred heart. And so holiness is the journey. Right? So we're making progress, even if we don't see it, even if we don't feel it, if we're growing in holiness day by day, we are making progress because that's the ultimate goal. The only reason the Lord calls us to our vocation is so that we might grow in holiness, so that we might grow closer to him. So God can't steer a parked car. He can't discern on the fence. We discern by acting, stopping, pausing, and discerning if that was the right action or not. And so that's another great image of pilgrimage. But yeah, we get lost, we take detours, but we recalibrate, we refocus. We ask directions, and we do this together uh, on our pilgrimage, two by two in small groups. So I'll close with a quote from Benedict XVI that he made at the Shrine of Santiago in Spain. He said, to go on pilgrimage is not simply to visit a place or admire its treasures of nature, art, or history. To go on pilgrimage really means to step out of ourselves in order to encounter God where he has revealed himself, where his grace has shone with particular splendor and produced rich fruits of conversion and holiness among those who believe. Praise you, Jesus Christ, now and forever. Thanks for joining us today, and please remember to subscribe. And if you enjoyed our show, give us a rating on the Apple Podcasts. Peace.